Christmas songs, they're getting our, bringing our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ, a great, a great thought for us. Tonight, let's take, turn in the book of Isaiah once again. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter number 44 tonight. We want to read a couple of verses as our text for this evening. Isaiah 44, verse 21 and 22. Let you, let you stand and, and uh, while we read God's word to show reverence to it. Isaiah 44, verse number 21 and verse number 22. It says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for redeeming us, and Lord, for all that you have done on our behalf. Lord, we love you tonight as your children, and we want to express our devotion and our attention, our thoughts to you tonight. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look at this portion of Scripture to be uh, helped, and Lord, that we would realize that you are a great and wonderful God. And Father, we thank you, we praise you, pray that you'd uh, guide our thoughts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of us have, have forgotten an appointment uh, which was really important? Ever forgot an appointment? You know, you're supposed to be at one location. Uh, we intended to get there, but we got so busy we forgot the appointment. Or perhaps you were uh, given something really important and you said something like this. I know, I know I've done this once in a while. Uh, I'll put this in a place where I'll remember it, a place that's going to be uh, easy to remember, and then when it comes time that you need it, you don't know where it's at. Okay, well, you know, sometimes uh, when we get under extreme uh, stress and pressure and those things, it's easy to forget. The older we get, it seems like it's easier to forget too, doesn't it, uh, along those lines. Tonight, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we find that the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the nation of Israel concerning five things that they needed to remember. Five things that were important to remember. And these five things are important for us to remember as believers. And they will both encourage and challenge us as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this portion of scripture tonight in verse number 21, I want you to notice first of all as the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, uh, you are the Lord's servant in verse number 21. He says, remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. Notice he says the same thing again, a little bit further down in the verse. He says, I have formed thee, thou art my servant. I think it was important for God to uh, remind them that, that they were the servant of the Lord. Israel belonged to the Lord. Uh, they were not their own. Uh, he was their master, and they were his servant. You know, as a servant... Uh, they were to serve, they were not to serve other masters. Why? Because they belonged to the Lord. They had, a, they had a job to do. It was to serve the Lord whenever and wherever he wanted them to be. Paul uh, refers to himself as being a servant, and you know as a child of God, we are the servants of the Lord. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Now that word servant there in that particular verse is the Greek word doulos, and it means a bond slave. 
When a servant in the Old Testament, well, they, if they had been serving a master, and they, they loved that master, their, their time of service was done, and they wanted to stay with that master, they would, they would go and, and say, you know what, we want to be a bond servant for you. We want to serve you willingly. It's our choice. We could be set free. We could go and do our own thing. But we have chosen to be a bond servant. So they would go and they would uh, take a piece of wood and they'd put it as an awl through their ear. Uh, and that would be kind of painful. Uh, but uh, people, as they'd look at it, they'd say, you know what, there goes a bond servant, a bond slave by choice to serve that particular master that they serve. As we look at Romans chapter 6, verse number 11, turn over there with me, keep, this, keep your finger in this portion of Scripture because we're coming back. But Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul uses that same idea as far as believers and the fact that we are doulos, we are to be bond slaves. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 down through verse number 22, look what we find here as we read through this portion of Scripture. It says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We are not under the law any longer. Uh, we are under grace. We're not under that bondage. We don't, we don't have to serve uh, the law. We are under God's grace. And uh, we are, God has given us uh, freedom in Jesus Christ to serve him. Verse 15. What then shall we say? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, excuse me. What shall we say? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now notice that word servants that we find here. It's that same idea of the, the, this word doulos. Here in this portion, verse 16, we have a choice to whom we will be a servant, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. I submit to you that you have a choice of where we are going to be a servant. We're going to either be a servant to sin or we're going to be a servant to righteousness. You can't be both. And you choose, just like I do every day, who I'm going to yield my life as a bond slave to. And, you know, as a bond slave here, again, when we're a servant of sin, it's the, that master commands us. And, you know, the things that we do and, and we go in that direction, uh, we follow that direction. And God says, you know what? You don't have to go that way any longer. Before we were saved, we didn't have a choice. But when we get saved, we now have a choice to say, you know what, I'm going to follow righteousness. Go down to verse number 17. He says, but God be thanked that ye were, notice, the servants of sin in the time past, if you would, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Here that same idea of servants, same word doulos is there. We were the servants of sin, but now we have what? Obeyed. See, when we obey the things that God has commanded for us to do, we are demonstrating that we are his servants. Now, we get a chance. It's our choice. It's not because we have to. It's because we get to. Willingly. I want to live for Jesus Christ. And so he's putting it in a positive. You say, well, that sounds like a kind of a negative. You're not, you, you were over here and you, it, was, it was bad, but now you're over here. He's trying to help you understand what joy it is to serve Jesus. 
We are, a, we are free in our choice to be his servant. Verse 18, we see the word again. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Here, once again, uh, as we think of this idea, we are now the servants of righteousness. I, my life is to follow the right things. The things that God has determined are right. It's not the things that the world determines which are right, but the things which God determines which are right. So when we talk with each other, we're supposed to have, uh, God talks about we're to be, uh, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Hey, we're supposed to have a, a, a kind spirit toward one another. We're to have love for one another. We're to, have, uh, we're to be honest toward one another. We're not to lie toward one another. Those are all righteous things. We're all to, to do those things, and we are to be the servants of righteousness. We're to do those things because that's what we have chosen as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a servant to righteousness. It ought to go against the grain for us to be the opposite way, to be the opposite way. Look at verse number, number 19. I speak after the, the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when, for the time you were servants of sin, ye were, uh, you were free from righteousness. Before we were saved, we weren't servants of righteousness. We didn't have a choice of doing that. We had a choice of doing that which is evil. That was our bent. That was, our, that was the direction as we talked about this morning. But notice here, he says now in verse 21, what fruit had ye in, then in those things which are of ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. See, their fruit as a Christian as being a servant of Jesus Christ is the, the fruit we ought to have is holiness. As people look at us, they ought to see a holy life. They ought to see a life which is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. They ought to see a life which is uh, apart from sin. You know, we sometimes think that only people like pastors and, and uh, uh, missionaries or, or uh, what we deem as full-time Christian workers are servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I submit to you that that's not true. Every born-again child of God belongs to the Lord and is his servant. If you're saved, you are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call him Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is master. He's the master. We are the servant. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. What type of servant am I? What type of servant am I? A government official came to President Lincoln's office, and he was startled to find here the chief executive was polishing his own shoes. And he uh, asked, uh, he kind of gasped, he said, Sir, Surely you do not have to polish your own shoes. And he says, of course. And whose shoes do you polish? You know, the greatness of a man is evidenced by his humility. In the words of the old Filipino saying, the higher that bamboo grows, the lower it bends. You know, the greater you become, the more of a servant you ought to be. 
Remember, the disciples had a problem with that. They wanted to be like the world. They thought, well, the greater I get up on the, 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 the top part of the, the pyramid of, of authority, the more people serve me. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. My kingdom is not that way. The greater you are, the more people you have to serve. Or you get to serve, let's put it that way. You become a greater servant. Are you a servant of the Lord? Let me ask you, could he call you in the middle of the night and ask you to do a job for him, or are you a kind of nine-to-five servant? You know, I've uh, worked in the ministry now for many years, and it's interesting as you work with some people on staff and different things, and uh, there are times when you have to call them in the, you know, on the off hours to ask them to do something, and they get put out at you because you're asking me, you know, it's kind of like I'm only a nine-to-five servant. You ask me during those times, and that's okay. Well, uh, excuse me, uh, do we tell God that? God, I'm on a nine-to-five schedule, and if you need me in those times, good, but don't call me in after those hours. I submit to you that as a Christian, we're a 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week servant. Could you imagine your servant, you need your servant to do something for you, and uh, you had a servant, and the servant, you told the servant, you know, I need to have you go out and get some gas. For, hey, wait a minute. Don't you understand? I don't go, I don't go on the clock for another uh, three hours. Uh, that servant wouldn't be a servant very long. We are living in a day when, we, when the, we're looking at people uh, really having a problem with the idea of servanthood. But as Christians, we ought to demonstrate by our life the servanthood of the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and his call over our life. Are you, are you the type of the servant that's willing to go beyond what you're expected? Or are you only willing to do what is your duty? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter number 17. I want you to look at uh, verse number 5. And the apostles come to the Lord Jesus Christ and they... They uh, say, Lord, increase our faith. And then he goes on to say, The Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having notice, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come uh, from the field, Go and sit down to me. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Oh, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? He gives you the picture of a person who's been working out all day on the field. He's a servant, and he's worked all day. He's tended the cattle, or he's plowed the field, and he comes in. And, you know, uh, it would be nice to have, uh, you know, have a meal, have food on the table. But instead, the master says, you know what? I'm hungry. You get something, would you get something ready for me to eat? And his duty is to go then from being in the field and workplace and go into that, that place and fix something to eat. And he says, and after that, after I've, the master's been fed, then you take care of yourself. He says, does the master 
commend the, uh, the servant for doing his duty? The answer is no. What he does is that when the servant goes beyond doing what is his duty, that's when the praise comes. Folks, I submit to you, sometimes we only want to do the duty. What is my duty? What, what is required of me? How, how I, you know, this is the basics of what I have to do. Or do you look to see, can I go beyond what I have been asked to do and do something more so it makes my job, for example, a better job? Uh, I get more accomplished when you're at the workplace. You know, my job, my responsibility is to do this and, and this and this. Hey, you know what? If I did those plus I did something else beyond that to make maybe the workplace nicer or, or, or to help out my boss a little bit more, uh, then I, I'm doing what I ought to be. Anything in doing our duty, it's just what's expected of us. Let me give you an example. Look at Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. Jesus, here in this portion of Scripture, gives an example. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41. And he says, here in this portion of Scripture, and it says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. You say, now what, what is he talking about? Here's the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is talking. Uh, Roman soldiers could compel a Jewish person to carry his pack for one mile. And so if I came down and said, Jacob, I want you to carry my pack, you didn't have a choice. You did what I told you. That was your duty. At the end of that mile, I'd be looking for somebody else going down, the, going down there. I'm going to have them carry it a mile. So I look at Brother Jeff. Jeff, I want you to carry my pack for a mile. So the, the soldier didn't have to carry the pack. But that mile, that was his duty. That was his requirement. But Jesus said in this verse, he says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him twain. Jesus said, uh, When you have done your duty, go the extra mile mile well you know i've gone i've carried the pack now for a mile hey soldier can you would you mind if i carry the the pack for another mile you say pastor that's kind of strange why would a person do something like that that's kind of like the world the world would say why should you do anything more than your duty i think i, I think of um in the, the military I, I i i've never been in the military but i hear that uh, the, this statement uh, in the military, you learn one thing. Don't volunteer, right? Don't volunteer. If you volunteer, you're going to get work. Well, that's how sometimes it is in, with, in the Christian world. People say, well, you know what? Uh, there's a job. We're, we're waiting for somebody to raise their hand. I hope somebody raises their hand. Uh, maybe You know, it's kind of like when you were in school, when the teacher would call on you to answer a question. It's kind of like this. Who knows the answer to this? And everybody puts their hand down like this, kind of like Maybe they, maybe they won't see me. Maybe they won't recognize me. Well, can I tell you something? We ought to volunteer. And so you say, Pastor, why would, I, why would I say to that soldier, you know, I've carried your pack one mile. Hey, let me carry it the second mile. Why would we do that? Well, let me share a couple things with you. When we go beyond our duty and serve because we want to and not because we have to, there is freedom. You know what? There's freedom in going beyond our duty. Going beyond because we choose to. There's freedom. Can I tell you something? There's also joy in going beyond. People sometimes say, well, pastor, where is the joy in the Christian life? It's going beyond the duty. 
It's serving Jesus because we love him, because, as we said this morning, he's wonderful. Well, this is what's required. Yes, I know, but once that's done, let, is there something else I can do? Is there some way, some way else I can serve you to be a blessing to you, Lord? What can I do for you? Um, only when we, we do our duty, can I tell you something? It can be bondage. Well, I'm, you know, I go, if you go to work and you're only doing your duty, well, I did my duty this week. Boy, it's just a rough week. It's, it's well, okay. But, you know, instead of that, looking for the opportunity, being able to be a blessing to somebody else, to help carry somebody else's load, to be a blessing for them. Uh, look at what God has done for you. Look at the opportunities that God gives you to witness to somebody else. When you're in your own, own little area and you only do your own little thing, people are looking to see how much you care. You know, they're underneath their load. They can't hardly push up and get out from underneath their load. Isn't it a blessing when somebody comes alongside and says, hey, let me, let me help you with that. You've already done your part. Make sure you do your part first, okay? Because that's your duty. But then to come and help somebody else, it's great to have somebody come alongside to be an encouragement to you. They're more willing to, to listen. You know, you can say something like this. I've had another opportunity to serve Jesus this week. Uh, what else can I do to make things better? What else can I, how can I further the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, when we go beyond and do our duty and serve, there is, there is an opportunity to witness what the Lord has done. Is it not true? When I just do my duty of carrying the pack for one mile, well, that's what everybody does. Everybody does that. That's their, that's their responsibility. But you know what? My thought in my mind is I want to be able to be uh, have an impact for Jesus Christ on that person. So instead of just going my one mile, hey, I'd like to take it that second mile. And that second mile, that person's kind of curious, why are you doing this? You don't have to. I know. But, well, why are you doing this? Well, you know, somebody has made a difference in my life. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about him? And it opens a door of opportunity when we go beyond our duty and start serving the Lord Jesus Christ and serving others in that second mile. God was telling them, he said, you know, don't ask or don't forget that you are the servant of the Lord. You're on call 24-7. As a pastor, sometimes, you know, people do call you at all sorts of different hours. I remember one time I was, I was in bed. It was a, it was a rough, rough day and, and that day. And at two o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. Now, Usually when phone calls are at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock, it's somebody that's in the hospital. So you understand that you need to you know, go and be with them, and that, that's, that's, that's okay, and that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but at 2 o'clock in the morning, I, I answered the phone, and you know, you're half asleep, unless you stayed up and watched the Late Late Show. Uh, you're half asleep, and I hear this in the background. And I thought, what in the world is going on here? 2 o'clock... And she said, Pastor, is that you? I said, yeah, this, this is me. You know, I'm wiping the, the, the stuff out of my eyes and stuff. I said, yeah, who is this? And they said, oh, I'm so-and-so. I couldn't sleep. I was wondering, I've got a Bible question. Can I ask you this Bible question? I said, you know, it probably, I, I want to make sure I give you the right answer. So how about if I answer you the Bible question, uh, I'll call you back at 8 o'clock in the morning instead of 2 o'clock. I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Oh, that's okay. I just can't sleep. I just, I'm cleaning here in my house, and I'm vacuuming the floor. It's the, I think, oh, great. And she lived in an apartment complex. I could imagine the people outside uh, were really happy about that. But, you know, uh, 
God calls us to be available 24-7. 24-7. So are we one of those that, Lord, I, you can only work, you can only count on me on Sunday from 9 until noon. That's when I'm there. That's when I do my job. That's when, uh, no, that's not how the Christian life is. He reminded the children of Israel, you are my servant. He said it twice. When God says it once, that's enough. But when he says it twice, I think that there's something of importance that he's trying to get across. Don't forget that. And folks, for us as children of God, we are his servants. We belong to him. Notice something else that uh, the Lord didn't want them to forget. And we go back to that portion of scripture in verse number 21. Uh, and that's this. The Lord has made you... Uh, a way, uh, made you the way that you are for a purpose. God has made you the way that you are for a purpose. Look what he says in verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. I have formed thee. God wanted Israel to know that he had made them a special way with special talents, with special abilities for his purpose. You are special, folks. You are not a mistake. You know, I've heard, I've heard parents say, teasing their children, say something like this, oh, you know what, you were just a mistake. And you know, as I, I think about that, I say, you know, um, I know what they're saying, that, that, that child wasn't planned and, and things of that nature. But can I tell you something? You need to get God's perspective. Life comes from God. With God, there are no mistakes. Uh, in, in bringing life into the world, God, is, God knows exactly what he's doing. He, he knows exactly. Uh, he's the one who opens and closes the womb. Look with me, if you would, to a couple portions of Scripture. I think this is very, very relevant, very important for the day in which we live. Go back to Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. Genesis chapter 29, verse number 31. Because we have some interesting things going on in our world today, and people are asking questions about uh, uh, cloning and all this type of stuff, and people are trying to decipher it. Uh, can I tell you something? The Word of God will help you if you'll just study it. Look at here in this portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah, this was one of Jacob's wives, that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. You know, as you look at that verse, it's interesting. It's God who opened the womb so that Leah, or that he opened Leah's womb so that Leah could have children. It was God who opened that womb and he closed Rachel's. Look at chapter 30 in verse number 2. Chapter 30 in verse 2. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. Remember, Rachel wasn't able to have children. And he said, Am I in God's stead? who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb. It's God who Jacob understood. It's God who gives the power to have life. It's God who's involved with that. And he understood that. Go down a little bit further, if you would, in chapter 30, verse 22. 30, verse 22. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. I think as you study the scriptures, you find that it's God who opens and shuts the wombs of ladies. It's God who allows ladies to have children. It's God who closes that womb. You know, uh, 
as we consider and as we ponder that, we live in a day when we try to override the Lord. We try to override the Lord. You know, God may say, no, but we have science. And we'll make it happen. You say, well, Pastor, you know, these people really want children. I understand. There's, a, there's children out in this world that, that parents, there's some parents that don't want children. God has closed some people's uh, opportunity of having children. God opens those opportunities. And I think as we stop and, and realize, you know, it's God who's in that, in that uh, part. And I think sometimes we get into God's way and we take over God's responsibility. God knows what he does. You know, as we look at, at the Psalm 139, turn over there, Psalm 139, verse 14. That every person is a special creation of God. Every person. Isaac, you know you're a special creation of God? God didn't make a mistake when he made you. You're special. I can see Isaac saying, you know, Pastor, you finally realized it. <laughs> I know I'm special. No, the reality is, this is what God says about you, Isaac. Uh, Psalm uh, 139, 14. David was speaking. He says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God says, I want you to under understand and know that every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, wonderfully made. It means, uh, that idea there, it means to be distinct, marked out. There's nobody exactly like you. You say, Pastor, what do you think about that? For some people, I'm glad there's, no, there's, there's not two of, two of some people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so one of them is enough. But, you know, God says we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. We are special. And, you know, we, we listen to evolution, and evolution says, well, you know what? The only way you got here was by a series of mistakes. That's, that's what evolution teaches. It, it was just a bunch of mistakes, the, the survival of the fittest, and, and over time, you're just a mistake that's happened. Can I tell you something? That's not what God says. That's what the world says. Is it any wonder why people have a problem with their identity and who they are? Folks, in trying to figure out who they are, and they try to change who they are, and they're not accepting of what, how God has made them. And folks, may I share with you that God wants us to learn how to be content with what he has made and the talents and the ability. You say, well, Pastor, if I could just do this and this and this, and I had this talent and this ability, then I'd be, I, I, I see that person over there that got so much success. I submit to you, God knows how he's made you to accomplish his purpose in this world. And that's for you to be his servant. He's given you those talents. He's given you those abilities. And that's exactly what he expects you to use. He doesn't expect you to use over here what you do not have. And so how important it is for us, every person is, is special. You know, a couple were going over their monthly bills. And in it there were, uh, there were bills from the drugstore and the department store and the oil company. And uh, trying to find some happy thing uh, some humorous way to deal with all the bills. You know, sometimes when you look at all the bills, there's more bills than there is money. And so they were, they were trying to find something humorous to think about it and, and, and to look at it. And uh, the man, he spoke up and he says, you know, isn't it a good thing that God doesn't send us bills? You know, that's right. It's good. You know, what if God decided to bill us for the wonderful body that he's given to us? 
The psalmist said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Shakespeare said, what a, what a piece of work man is. Think about how God has made you. Consider your ears. A piano has 88 keys, but each of your ears has a keyboard with 1,500 keys. They are so finely tuned that you can hear the blood running through your vessels. The outside of your ear can catch up to 73,700 vibrations per second. Just your ear. How about your eyes? You know, they're both microscopes and telescopes. They can gaze into the heavens and see a star uh, millions, of light, or millions of miles away or inspect the smallest insect. Consider your feet. Did you know that your, your foot has 26 bones, none of which is wider than your thumb, but it is so manufactured uh, with its ligaments and tendons and muscles and joints that a 300-pound man can put all his weight on these tiny bones? The heart, it's the size of your fist. It pumps or beats 4,320 times per hour. In a year, that would mean that it, it beats 40 million beats. In a year. A drop of blood can go around the tip of your circulatory system in only 22 seconds. Go through all your circulatory system. What if God sent you a bill for this marvelous body that he's made you? Uh, God doesn't send us bills. He just made it. He just loves us and he cares for us. And he, and, and, can we do any less than love him and serve him when he's given us so much to be used for his honor and glory? He says to the nation of Israel, I just want you to know that you are special. You are a special treasure. You are specially made. And I've made you, I've formed you the way that you are. Notice the third thing that, that, the, uh, that Isaiah brings out back there in uh, chapter, 40, chapter 44. That God will never forget us. That God will never forget us. Let's see here. 44, in verse number uh, 20... Uh, yeah, exactly. 21. Uh, Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. God wanted to reassure Israel no matter what would happen, no matter what would go, come their way, he would never forget them. You know how comforting it is to know that we've got a God like that who will never forget us. You know, he's not like the ostrich. You know, the ostrich is kind of an interesting bird it plants its it puts its eggs in the in, in the earth and then it walks or you know it just and it walks away just leaves them there and forgets folks you know what god's not like that god doesn't forget us i'm glad he you know i was on his mind this morning could you imagine not being on the mind of god uh it pretty pretty amazing that he never forgets us hebrews 13 5 let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. The Lord's with us. 
No matter where you go, you, you, you're not going to outrun the Lord. You know what? Sometimes we get discouraged and we get depressed and people go on the run just to try to get away from their situation and circumstances and sometimes it's just to get away from the Lord. But God says, let me just tell you, you're not going to get away from me. You know, the psalmist said once in Psalm 139, the first part of that, he says, if I go into heaven, hey, you're there. If I go in the, in the deepest part of the sea, you're there. He said, there's no place that I can get away from you. You know what? God, you see me. You're there for me. And it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. You know, sometimes if you're in a, in a bad situation or you're, 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 you're stranded or you're trapped, can I tell you something? God still sees you even there. No one else may, but God does. Dear friend, the Lord will not forsake you. He will be with you through it all. When the battle seems intense and almost overwhelms you, remember that there is one who stands beside you and with you. When you feel all alone, remember that your God is with you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 because the Apostle Paul kind of alludes to this idea in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 16. Paul, as we know in reading in 2 Timothy, this is just before he's getting ready to be executed for the cause of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul is saying, he says, at my first answer, in other words, my first defense when he came to Rome the first time, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. When he went before Rome, we went before uh, before Nero the first time, people all fled from him. They didn't want to be around him. They didn't want to be identified with him because that could mean that I'll lose my life if I'm identified with, with Paul. He says, everybody forsook me. But notice verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Well, we know the mouth of the lion is Satan. That first time that he was there, guess what? He was delivered. Everybody forsook him, uh, but not the Lord. You know, people may forsake you in this world, but if you're saved, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. He still sticks with you. How wonderful that is. You don't have to be afraid. A missionary returning to the, the village, which had been destroyed by the enemies of the gospel, as they came back to this uh, the village, they found people that were weeping over the ashes of the, the previously thatched roofs of their houses. One of the natives said to him, he said, uh, they have burned my Bible and my hymn book. And then in the ruins, this, this person found a little white piece of paper that was not totally burned. He picked it up and he began to read it. It's the only thing left of the, of these paper, uh, of the papers uh, were the words, joy, to the world, the Lord has come. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. It reminds us of the fact that our God never stops being with us. He stopped for a moment and said, you know what? That's enough for me. Joy to the Lord. Uh, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Folks, you know what? We have a wonderful God, don't we? We have a wonderful Savior, and we need to remember that. To, that, to remember he'll never forget us. Going back to Isaiah, we notice also something that God wants to, wanted them to remember, that God blots out our transgressions. 
Isaiah 44 and verse number 22. God had blotted out their transgressions. He says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. God had blotted those out. God wanted Israel to know that he was a God who could deal with their sin problems, the problem that they faced. No matter what your sin problem is, God can blot those things out. No matter how bad or how difficult, Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will, remember, and will not remember thy sins. That word blotted out means to wipe out, to obliterate. God blots out our sins. Because God is a holy God, he must deal with our sins, as we said this morning in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Rome, uh, Ezekiel 18, 4, uh, it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God, God's holiness demands justice. But he said, if you will come to me, guess what? Your sins will be blotted out. The, the writings that were against you will be taken care of. All of man's sins are against the Lord. He alone is able to forgive our sins and to blot them out. We sing the song, you ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scoffer who asks me where they are, I'll say, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary. As far removed from uh, darkness is from dawn, in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. You know, as Christians, we have something to rejoice in, don't we? Our sins are gone. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And it says, And you being dead in your sins and your, the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Can you imagine all your sins written down? Well, God says that that's exactly what he does. He records all of our sins. All the sins of mankind have been recorded. But for the child of God, when we receive Jesus Christ as his Savior, he blots out all of those sins. They're all gone. All, they're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't, re, can't recall those anymore. We don't, we're not going to go to heaven and have to give an account of all of our sins. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven our sins. He forgave all of our sins. And praise God for that. God blots out our transgressions of those who trust in Jesus Christ. Do you have your sins blotted out today? It ought, to re, it ought to cause your heart to rejoice. I mean, at Christmas time, that's why Jesus came, that he might die for us, that he might blot out our sins, that we'd have a new beginning, a new start. How wonderful that is. Notice, if you would, the last thing, that God not only blots out our sins, but God redeems us. He redeems us. In verse 22, he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. The word redeemed in the Hebrew, it means to ransom, to pay, uh, to redeem by payment. When a person in the Bible couldn't pay a debt, he or she is often sold as a slave. If there were somebody, a, a near kin uh, of that person, uh, could hear that situation, they could come and they could pay the debt that that person owed and that person would be released from that debt. debt. That was called a kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. 
what the Bible teaches. Jesus was not only the Son of God, that's dealing with his deity, but you read in the Bible that Jesus Christ was the Son of Man. That was his connection with us. And Jesus Christ, that was our relationship to us. Man was sold under the bondage of sin, and we were unable to pay our way out, but God instead sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ransom price for us. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for ye are bought with a price. That word bought is a, the Greek word agorazo. And it means to redeem uh, in the marketplace. It's the picture, if you would, that a person here, uh, it's, let's say the stage up here is, is a place where they would bring slaves and people, they would bring slaves and people that they were trying to sell as servants and things like that. They couldn't pay their bills. They had different things and they would come and they would put them on that, that place and people would begin to auction for them or pay and say, well, y'all give you $10 for this person here and you would become that slave of that particular person. And what the Bible says here, that we were bought with a price. The Lord paid for us on the auction block of sin. He paid for us to take us off of that auction block of sin. Praise God, he bought us. And that's why he says we're to glorify him. Uh, we were under the chains of sin. We were under Satan's control, but Jesus' blood set us free. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That word redeemed in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 is the Greek word latruo, and it means to release on receipt of ransom, to liberate by payment of ransom, to deliver. Jesus delivered us because he paid the price for us. He set us free. Praise God. But I want you to go to one more verse. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Jesus bought us. He paid the ransom price as we were up on the auction block. He paid the price for us to set us free. Hallelujah. But he also, Lutro, he, he set us free. He gave us a receipt of ransom. He liberated us because of that payment. He set us free. We're no longer under bondage of that. But in Galatians 3 and verse 13, look what it says here, what he says. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That word redeemed, you say, well, pastor, it's got to be that, that agorazo or that lutro uh, word that you used a moment ago. No, this is a different word. This is the word ex agorazo. You say, why, would, why, did they, why, why didn't they just put that different there? Well, um, it's translating from one language to another. That's why it's important to study the, the language that the Bible was written in. There's so many tools for us to be able to do that now, and so many apps that you have on your phone to be able to study those things. It brings these things to light. This word is an exciting word. It's ex agorazo. It takes the, the first one I mentioned, agorazo, we're bought with a price, 
but it puts the word X in front of it. We see these signs here on our doors, exit, to go out of. What this word deals with, ex agarazo, is, is a beautiful picture. Jesus bought us on the auction block of sin. Ex agarazo, though, he bought us from there nevermore to return. Amen. Oh, pastor, don't you know I can lose my salvation? Do you realize the picture you'd have to have? That means you'd have to jump up back on the auction block of sin and be auctioned off again. This word right here, the Bible says he's redeemed us. He's ex agarazo. He's taken us off the auction block. We're never more to go back on that place where we used to be. It's we're redeemed forever. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad that he wanted the children of Israel to understand that they were redeemed. You, that they were redeemed. You know, uh, we don't have to go back to our old sinful desires any longer. We have been set free. We sin because we choose to, the Bible says. In James chapter 1, 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. When we've been set free, we don't have to go in that life. But the Bible goes on to say, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when sin hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Or, you know, when uh, um, lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We're, we're drawn away. We, we listen. We, we, go in, we start thinking about those things uh, instead of dealing with it in our mind when the thought, first of all, comes to our mind. You know, if, if a sin, when it first comes into your mind, is sin, then Jesus was a sinner. Because Satan said to, to Jesus, he said, you know what? You can turn this rock to bread. Why don't you do that? Remember, you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. If sinning, putting, just putting a thought in your mind is sin, then Jesus would have been a sinner. He understood what he was saying. But, the, the, but what Jesus did is he rebuked Satan. He dealt with Satan instead of thinking on it. Remember, that's where Eve got in problems. That's where she got in trouble. Satan started talking to her. Hey, you know what? This fruit, uh, you know, you're going to be like God. And she started thinking, you know what? It looks like it's pretty good to eat. And, you know, oh, she started down the path. And she started justifying her actions that are getting ready to come. And it starts in her mind. So if we would deal with it when it first comes into our mind, we wouldn't sin. And that's what Jesus Christ has set us free from. We don't have to sin any longer. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So tonight, let me ask you tonight, dear child, have you thought about, considered, remembered that you have been redeemed? You've been redeemed. The ransom price for your sins has been paid. You're set free. You've been given new life in Jesus Christ. You should be rejoicing tonight. Not only that, your transgressions have been blotted out. When Satan comes to you and says, hey, remember all these things in the past? Wait a minute. Jesus Christ has blotted those things out. He's taking care of my sins. When you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and your fellowship is restored. The devil doesn't want you to, to dwell on what Jesus has done for you. He wants you to dwell on your failures. And that's why when we confess our sins, we come into agreement, God, you know what? You're absolutely right. I was wrong. And, and he gives us forgiveness. We're cleansed just like we were when we got saved. Praise the Lord. Don't forget, 
But God will never forget you. God will never forget you. You can call on him at any time of the day or night. He's there for you, and he loves you, and he understands. And God has made you special to fulfill his will. Don't forget that. Your talents, your abilities. You say, well, pastor, I play an instrument. Yeah, I know you've been hiding it. Some of you might be playing an instrument. People, it's amazing when people say, oh, pastor, I play a, I play a flute, or I, I play a clarinet, or I play this. I say, really? Because they think if I, if, they, if I don't know, then I won't ask them to play. Folks, can I tell you something? It, it, you know, you gotta, as you learn, as you, as you develop that talent, that ability for the Lord, it's an opportunity to serve him. And he gives you more opportunity as you yield to him. God has made you special with those talents and abilities. Don't, don't hide it. You ought to let God use it for his honor and glory. And then realize and remember that you're a servant of God. Are you content with just doing your duty? Are you seeking to go beyond your duty to be a blessing to others? Blessing comes when we go beyond doing our duty. Amen? I pray tonight that you won't forget these important five things that God wanted to remind the children of Israel about. And they needed it. It was a dark time in their world. It was a dark time. The nation of Israel, the, the, church, the nation as a whole, had gone off into sin. But God says, I just want to remind you some things. You need to remember these things because these things are important. And they are important for us today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we've been able to come and to worship you and to think about how... Uh, what you've done in our life and how good you've been on our behalf. Father, we thank you that we are your servant. We thank you, Lord, you've made us special. We thank you for redeeming us. We thank you, Lord, for blotting out our sins. We thank you, Lord, that, that you will never forget us. And Lord, I pray today as we, as we uh, think on these thoughts that you would cause us to, today to rejoice, to raise up the name of our wonderful God and, and Savior before a world that that needs some encouragement. They can have the same God. They can have the same Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd be more precious to us day by day, that we'd like to brag about you, extol you, glorify you, lift you up. Father, how wonderful and how wonderful our Savior is. Father, we thank you tonight for all that you've done. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to go from this place in a few moments uh, singing and, and rejoicing over your goodness on our behalf. Father, we pray in this invitation time that you would just have your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Scott's going to come and lead us. If you're not sure you're saved, I'll be here in front. I'd love to talk to you about salvation, how you can be saved. But tonight, uh, maybe tonight, you just want to come to the altar and just thank God for his goodness. Thank God for what he's done and how he's created you. You say, well, Pastor... You know what? I don't think there's very, much, there's very much importance in me. Can I tell you something? You need to start seeing yourself as God sees you. You're important to him. You're precious, and uh, you're special to him. So don't, don't let the world tell you that you're not important because God says you are. You know, trust God. He never lies. Uh, the world doesn't tell the truth. So it's better for us to trust God. Amen? Brother, let's all stand. Brother Scott, you have a song for us. 